Hey, this morning we're going to continue our series uh, called The Church, and we're looking at <clears throat> what the Bible says about the church, the mission of the church, the, the, the function of the church, and p- part of this is to kind of carry you uh, or at least expose you to some of the conversations we've been having within our vision meetings about, you know, what's the... How can we best structure and, and, and develop a church that'll be functioning and healthy a hundred years from now or but if the Lord tarries that long? And so, um, this morning we're going to talk about mission. What does the church do? So last time we talked about purpose and we kind of walked through the, the Bible to try to see how the, the, the church fits into the big storyline of scripture. And we saw how it's, it's God's people. It's the renewed humanity. It's, it's people being restored back to who they were made to be. And in this message today, we're going to be talking about mission. What does the church do? We, we talked a lot about mission, uh, this year, especially earlier in the year, but it's never going to hurt to be reminded of why we exist. <clears throat> we too easily drift in our minds from, uh, the mission that God has for us. And so, we're going to be looking at today is mission. What does the church do? We're going to start this morning from Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Uh, that is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter five. And we're going to begin this morning from verse 13. Verse 13. So if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. <clears throat> we're going to begin this morning from Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Word of God. You may be seated. Okay, so we're going to look at the mission of the church this morning under three headings. Number one, we do good for God's glory. We do good for God's glory, number one. Number two, We share Christ for God's glory. We share Christ for God's glory. And number three, we do missions for God's glory. We do missions for God's glory. But first, when we talk about the mission of the church, we want to talk about number one here. We do good for God's glory. This is part of the mission of the church. This is part of what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. We do good for God's glory. The church... It's not the main mission, it's not the main part, but it is an important part of doing good in doing good for God's glory. Um, not too long ago, uh, just the beginning of this year, we wrapped up our sermon through a sermon series through the book of Matthew, preached it verse by verse through the entire book of Matthew. And as part of that series, we spent a pretty significant amount of time going through the Sermon on the Mount. And I said at that time that the Sermon on the Mount represents Jesus' kingdom ethic. That is, Jesus, you know, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And if you're going to be a citizen in the kingdom of God, those, those, 
the citizens of the kingdom are characterized by certain types of behavior, right? Right? There, there are certain, there's a certain way you're expected to act if you're a U.S. citizen, okay? You gotta obey the laws, right? Well, there's a certain way you're supposed to act if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, is that if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a citizen of my kingdom, this is how you're going to act. It's the Jesus's kingdom ethic. It teaches us what our lives are supposed to look like if we are true citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So if our lives do not embody the kingdom ethic found in the Sermon on the Mount, we can't have great confidence that we are, in fact, kingdom citizens because Jesus said you would know them by their works. In fact, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount closes with warnings from Jesus. He said, Jesus said that there will be people who, when he returns, will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus said he's going to look at them and say, who are you? I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Okay, and then the 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 end of the Sermon on the Mount, right, closes with the the parable of the rock and the sand, right? Somebody builds their house on the rock, somebody builds their house on the sand. Okay, the person who builds their house on the sand is who? The person who hears Jesus's words and does not do them. The person who builds his house on the rock is who? The person who hears Jesus's words and does them. So hearing is not enough, right? We have to hear and do the word of God. And so Jesus, and so Jesus begins, so the Sermon on the Mount ends with an emphasis on doing. We must do it, not just hear it. But the Sermon on the Mount begins here after the Beatitudes with with uh, this mission as salt and light. So the, there's a clear emphasis then that Jesus is giving throughout the whole sermon about how we are to behave as Christians in order to glorify God as his kingdom citizens. So he gives two images here, salt and light, salt and light, okay? So first we'll, we'll look at salt, okay? There's lots of images that salt can be that that the salt can depict but i think one of the primary images that jesus is tend to convey here is one of how salt slows decay how salt slows decay the world i don't know if you've noticed is in a downward spiral of sin right i just i never get i never get how some people really believe that like People fundamentally are basically good because if people were basically good, why are there so many problems? Doesn't make sense. People aren't basically good. People are basically selfish and they will do what they want to do to accomplish their ends to make it, to make what they perceive as they're going to be their best life, even if it means using and abusing other people. This, the world is in a downward spiral of sin. We are, it is, as it was in the days of judges. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes. And in fact, that's what the Disney, that's what Disney tells you to do, man. Just let it go. Just let it go. Be yourself. But God has done what? God has given the church to be a place to slow the decay. Slow the decay. When God's, and so, yeah. 
We exist to help slow that down, to make it not as bad as it could be. That is the church, right? When there are, there are, there are messes out in the world, right? And the church is called to be different because the church is called not to create messes, but to clean them up. Not to run from messes, but run to messes. Now that, that takes the Holy Spirit. Because most of us just want to run from a mess. But Christ, Christ saw humanity in a big, gigantic mess, and he left heaven to go deal with it. Right? So sometimes we'll have to leave, we might have to leave behind what we consider our heaven to go deal with somebody else's mess. What is that? That's the love of Christ. That's the love of Jesus who left heaven to come deal with our mess. He ran to us in our brokenness to bring healing. He ran into the mess we made of our lives to bring cleansing. And the church can be like Jesus and slow the decay of the fall of, of a fallen world. I don't believe, contrary to some, I don't believe the church's mission is to change culture, change society. I don't even believe that that's possible. Nowhere in the Bible does, are we promised that if the church, the, you know, lots of people like to beat up the church. I'm not a big church beater upper. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat up on someone, another man's wife. And the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. So if you're gonna go and you're gonna beat up the church all the time, well, you're just gonna have to answer to Jesus for that. Even if the, the church isn't perfect, but even if she was, I don't think that would be enough to change society. Cause the church's mission isn't to change society. The church's mission is to glorify Jesus Christ. The church's mission is to proclaim the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But that doesn't mean that we don't do good in the world. It just means that we take the, we take the time and the place in which we've been given and we try to be salt and we try to be light in the time and place that we've been given in order to glorify God. The only way, let me tell you something. All the, all the good deeds in the world, it can make this world a little bit better place, but it's not going to change society. All the politicking in the world, even as, as good as it can be, the best in the world, it can make it, it might, can make it a little bit better for a little while, but it's not going to change society. The only thing that would change society is if everybody got saved. Because then people would actually want to do good from the heart. And that's the only thing that can create a healthy society. To be changed from the inside out, to no longer want to use and abuse or, or just pursue self at the cost of other people. But we can, we, we can preach Christ, but we can't make people believe. But what we can do is we can be the church where we are. We can see the brokenness. We can see the messes. We can see people with eternal souls that need help. And we can step in and we can love people in Jesus' name. And so that's what we do, right? We can't do everything, but we can do something. And, that, and we can never underestimate the power of one changed life, right? So if somebody is like, it's just... You know, their life is maybe just part of a cycle of like brokenness, of, of sin and, and fatherlessness or addiction or whatever. Okay? And if you could just enter in and change one life and be a, be a, 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 par, a parental figure in one person's life and that cycle is broken so that that person then becomes a, uh, the father that they never had or the mother that they never had, that one changed life can make a huge difference in the world. And that's where the church comes in to step into these places to do that. We are the salt of the earth. We're also the light of the world. <clears throat> of course, the two ideas there are closely linked, right? Salt of the earth and light of the world. We do good to shine the light, 
not on ourselves, but on Jesus Christ. We do good to say that anything good we do is ultimately not for our sake, but for Christ's sake. And we do it because Christ has already entered into our lives and changed our hearts. Right. So note here, we don't we don't do good for goodness sake. That's what Santa Claus asked you to do. That's not what Jesus Christ asked you to do. We do good for God's sake, for Christ's sake. We can and we should do tangible good in the world, but we must be careful to do it in such a way that God gets the glory for it, right? The church's mission is theological, right? In other words, the church is not merely just a humanitarian organization. We can and should do humanitarian things, but that is not our primary purpose. We we do good for the glory of God. We love people in Jesus' name and help them in their brokenness so that they can see that Jesus Christ makes a difference in our lives. And so we haven't really loved people if we've made their lives more comfortable, but haven't told them how can how they can escape from eternal hell and judgment for their sins. So the church has a mandate to do good, to make our corner of the world a little better place, to step into the messes around us and make a visible difference, but... but do more than just that, but say, hey, the reason we're doing this is because Christ has changed me. And he can change you too. To make a difference and say, hey, look, we're thrilled that we were able to just step in and help a, just a little bit in this situation. But guess what? This isn't going there's only one thing that can solve the ultimate problem that you have. And your ultimate problem wasn't this mess that we might have helped just a little bit. Your ultimate problem is your eternal separation from God due to sin. Let it be known that we do it for Christ's sake and for God's glory and that he is the only one that can deliver us from the true mess of our lives and our sins. So number one, what is the mission of the church? We do good for God's glory. Number two, we share Christ for God's glory. We share Christ for God's glory. We see this in um, 2 Corinthians 4.15. It should be up on the screen there says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. It is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So the first part of the mission of the church, right, is we do good for God's glory. We do good for God's glory. So that's an aspect of what the church does. And then the second aspect, which we've talked a little bit about already, is we share Christ for God's glory. We share Christ for God's glory. So, so we meet every need. We try to meet every need that we can, especially spiritual needs, because those are the greatest needs. In 2 Corinthians here, if you go and read 2 Corinthians, you see that Paul is once again trying to vindicate his ministry and validate his ministry to a rather stubborn and proud Corinthian church. And especially if you go and read chapters 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians, they're very profound, theologically deep chapters. But he describes, Paul describes God's ministry through Jesus as one of a new creation, right? He, he, he describes it as, he says, the God who let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. Right? And in other words, he describes what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ as a new creation. Just as God spoke into existence light in the midst of the darkness, so God through Jesus speaks into existence spiritual light 
into sin-darkened hearts. And that's how we are saved. Uh, Paul describes, talks about Moses and how when Moses came down from the mountain, he wore this veil, okay, uh, that, that, that hid the glory of God from the people, okay? And Paul says that to this day, the Jews, he's talking about the Jews there, have a veil over their eyes that keeps them, he says, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so not just Jews, But all unbelievers, including us, before we were saved, had a spiritual veil over our eyes so that we could not see Christ for who he was, right? Which is why probably, if you're like most people, you might have heard the gospel a hundred times before you finally believed it because you had the veil over your eyes. But then one day, the God who said, let there be light, said, let there be light in your heart. And the light of Christ dispelled the darkness and you were able to see for the first time the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Paul then in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 has this ministry, his, this apostleship, this mission that he has been charged by Christ to do to proclaim Christ to, 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 to share the gospel, which is the light of God, okay? Because the, the gospel, Paul says, is the power of God for salvation. And when you share the gospel, that's, that's the vehicle that God uses to bring light. But this ministry that God entrusted to Paul to proclaim Christ all throughout the Roman Empire in the Mediterranean Sea area was not an easy ministry. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, this is what he says. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about the gospel. We have the treasure in jars of clay. What's the jar of clay? It's brittle. It's fragile, right? And who's the jar of clay? Paul. Paul's the jar of clay. He's weak and fragile person. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are inflicted, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you look at Jesus' life, what did he do? He suffered and died so that other people could live. Right? So what did he call Paul to do with his life? Paul followed Jesus, which meant what? Which means he suffered for Jesus everywhere he went. He endured all kinds of hardship so that other people could hear the good news of God and have life. There's, he, he was beat, he was beat multiple times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. And ultimately, he was beheaded for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no doubt in my mind that Paul, until the day he died, lived with with chronic injury and pain from the beatings and the stonings that he endured. And that's not even to mention the emotional hardship that Paul had to face because he went and shared the gospel with these churches like Corinth. And then they turned around and said, who are you? We don't like you. 
Go on and preach your business, but leave us alone. And he had friends who worked with him in ministry for years who then turned around and denied the gospel and abandoned the faith. That probably hurt the most. His ministry, Paul's ministry, like Jesus's, was one of hardship and suffering and sorrow. It was one of death, as it were, in order that other people might have life. So Paul, in one place, Paul says, I die every day. Isn't that what Jesus said to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What do you do on a cross? You die on it. Paul said, I die every day. Why? So that others may live. And that, that, that explains the verse that we, that we're looking at here, verse 415, 2 Corinthians 415. For it is all for your sake. It is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul did all that he did for who? He said, he told the Corinthians, for your sake. You don't like me. You don't want to listen to me, but everything I did was for you. Everything I suffered was for you. It was for your sake. I die every day so that you can live, so that you can hear the gospel, so that you can know Jesus Christ. So that, why? So that as grace extends to more and more people, he said, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So he died every day so that grace can extend to more and more people. That's what you, that's what we do. When we suffer for Christ, when we proclaim Christ, when we endure for the gospel, whatever God asks us to endure for the gospel's sake, right? When we do that, we are, we become vehicles of God's grace to other people. God uses us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, God making his appeal through us. We become a vehicle of God's grace into the lives of other people. And so that grace extends to more and more people. But even that is not the point. Even that is not the point. Paul says, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, even the grace going to more people isn't the end game. The glory of God is the end game. God will get more glory when his grace has reached out to more people. So that's why Paul did what he did. He shared Christ for the glory of God. He wanted more and more people to be touched by the grace of God so that more and more people would give God the praise and thanksgiving that he is due. God is worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory, all thanksgiving. Even the unbelievers who don't want anything to do to God, God woke them up this morning, put food on their table, gave them friends and family. God is worthy of the glory and praise and thanksgiving for that, and they're not giving it to him. So we share Christ and preach the grace of God and become vehicles of God's grace so that God will get the glory that he is due. It increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. That is our aim and that is our goal. So that God's grace can extend to people so that they can know the glory and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God so that they too can give God what he is due with us. He is worthy. So number one, we do good for God's glory. 
<clears throat> number two, we share Christ for God's glory. And finally, number three, the mission of the church is to do missions for God's glory. We do missions for God's glory. We see this in Romans chapter 15. And it should be on the screen there as well. Romans chapter 15, 18 through 24. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach Christ, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So what does the church do? We do good for God's glory, salt and light of the, of the world. We share Christ for God's glory to the praise and thanksgiving of God. And then finally, number three, we do missions for God's glory. This is the book of Romans. Romans has the place as kind of, you know, Paul's biggest and perhaps most famous book, maybe his most theologically important book, because where he's, he most clearly explains the, 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 the biblical understanding of salvation, election, justification, sanctification, so on. And so when you're standing, when you read the book of Romans, and you're standing among these trees, if you will, of justification, sanctification, election, and glorification, and so on. You can miss the forest. Uh, you miss the forest for the trees that all of Paul's theology is essentially a missionary theology. Let me say that again. All of Paul's theology is essentially a missionary theology. In Romans, even though it's known as kind of Paul's great theological letter, I would say Romans is a the, is a missionary letter. It is. It's literally a missionary letter because he gets to the end of Romans here and does what? He says, hey, I want you guys to help me out when I go to Spain to share the gospel. The whole book of Romans, as theological as it is, is a missionary letter. It's a missionary theology. When Paul talks about things like justification by faith, that, that is not just a, some abstract theological claim. He wants people to understand justification by faith. Why? Well, here's why. Because justification by faith is how non-Jewish people, Gentiles, can be saved. And guess what? Paul wants Gentiles to be saved. So he explains justification by faith. When Paul talks about election in Romans chapter 9, He's not talking about election just because he wants to, you know, wax eloquent on some high tower theological subject. He talks about election because he wants people to see how the saving promises of God to Israel did not fail just because they're going to the Gentiles. 
So in other words, Romans is theology, but it's theology with an agenda. It's theology of a man commissioned to preach Christ to all people, Jews and Gentiles, so that all people would know the forgiveness and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And we see that especially at the end of Romans here, because Paul has yet to go to Rome. He doesn't, he's never been to the church in Rome. He doesn't, I mean, I'm sure he knows people there. He knows people there, but he's not familiar with the church there. Okay, but when he goes there, or as he writes in anticipation of going there, Paul is bold enough to assume in verse 24, right, that the Romans will want to help him in his missionary calling, right? He says in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Well, that might sound a little presumptuous to us. It might sound a little presumptuous to them. But the point is, is that Paul assumes that part of the mission of the church, including the Roman church, part of their mission is for them to see and help that the gospel gets proclaimed to lands beyond our own. In other words, Paul has a, has a conception of the church that is that the church is a missionary organization. That the church has a responsibility, like the Roman church did for Paul, to see to it that people who are called to that work are supported and helped along their way so that Christ can go where Christ has yet to be named. So the church is a missionary organization. No, not everybody is personally called to be a foreign missionary, but the church as a whole is called to raise up, send out, and supply those who God has called to that so that they can make sure that the gospel goes where Christ is yet to be named. So the church is many things, but one thing it most definitely is, is a missionary organization. And so we just, we just, we can never, we can never forget that, right? The mission of the church goes beyond these four walls and even goes beyond the, 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 uh, boundaries of Dodge County or the state of Georgia or the United States of America. Jesus Christ is Lord not just of Cottondale Baptist Church, not just of Dodge County, not just of the state of Georgia, not just of the United States of America. Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. He's king of the cosmos. He created you. He created me. He created a, a person in the slums of India or Mumbai or, or, or uh, Kenya. He created the, the, the handful of people who live in Antarctica. They all belong to Jesus Christ. He is worthy of their praise and adoration and glory. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom will must be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So the mission of the church, right, in the intervening period, which we're in right now, before Christ comes, is to see to it that the gospel gets proclaimed to all nations. That is the precondition for Christ's return. And so we as a church have to ask ourselves how we fit in to God's, to God's world, God's plan of worldwide missions. We fit in some way. And I do think it's more than just the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, as important as that is. And so as we move forward as a church and, and Lord willing, as we move 
you know, things get going and we, we, we get launched here as a new church. One of the things we need to keep front and center in our hearts and in our minds is being part of God's global mission around the world. How can we pray and best be strategic about and, and be the best stewards we can of the time and place and resources that God has given us to be part of God's global mission in the world? It might seem, I'm just going to keep saying this till it happens, it might seem like this is just a far off possibility, but I'm telling you, it, it, will be a, it would be a small thing for God to raise up a missionary from our church. It would be. He could do it. He could do it right now if he wanted to. Some of you say, uh-oh. When God calls you, you go. John Piper has famously said when it comes to mission, he says, go, send, or disobey. There is no other option. Jesus has given us the mission, the Great Commission. And he said, as we read earlier, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is not, you say, well, that, that's a big task. Well, yeah, well, we got a big God. That's the whole point, right? If we, if we did what only we could do on our own strength, we wouldn't do anything. But that's not the point. You know, God didn't tell Joshua, go tear down them walls. He told Joshua, obey me and I'll tear down the walls. So we obey Jesus and he tears down the walls. All this crazy mess happening in the world right now. But when it's all said and done, Jesus Christ will be shown to be king. And we want to stand there having done our part in the worldwide global mission of God. And so this is something we want to think about. And Lord willing, I think one of the best ways we could do this in the future going forward is to find a place. Maybe, maybe, maybe some where we're already connected with or maybe some kind of new place, but find a, a place and a missionary to partner with long-term so that on a somewhat consistent basis, we're sending teams over to develop a relationship with local churches. Look, the, the church is God's plan, right? So when a, when a missionary goes to a place where Christ hasn't been named, the first thing they do is they preach the gospel, and then when people get saved, they start a church. And then you work through that church to reach the community there, just like we're supposed to be doing here. And so we find a place, we find a missionary, we find a church to partner with long-term to say, we want you to succeed and thrive in your mission of reaching your countrymen with the gospel. All right? just, like, uh, just like New Life Baptist down in Florida, right, is coming up to help us with our mission here in Dodge County. All right? So not only is this the call of God, but it gives perspective to the church. And this is what we really need today as a church, is we need perspective. We need to remember that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, our loyalty and our identity is first found in Christ before it is found anywhere else. That's crucial. And that we are more deeply connected 
with brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world who speak a different language than we are with our neighbors across the street who don't know Jesus. We need some perspective. We need to, you know, over there, you know, in, in, in other parts of the world, our hearts should be grieved at any suffering, but it should be especially grieved when we hear of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ suffering. And so it reminds us that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of something bigger than just this local community. We're part of God's global people, the church of Jesus Christ who belongs to him. And there's people still out there who don't know it yet, but they're going to be part of the family. And that's why we do missions. To proclaim Christ where he has yet to be named, because God is still in the saving business. So what do we do as a church? Number one, we do good for God's glory. Number two, We share Christ for God's glory. And number three, we do missions for God's glory. Let's pray that God would help us be the church that he has called us to be. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be here with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I just, I pray, I pray this sermon over our church this morning. God, I pray that you would help us right here in Dodge County to be the salt of the earth. And the light of the world. I pray, oh God, that you would help us, God, this week. To look up. See a need, see an opportunity. And just show up. And step into the mess for your glory. To show the love of Christ. To testify to the change that you have made in our lives. And to be your hands and feet in this world. Help us, God, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to share your name with other people. Lord, we don't have to be theologians. All we have to do is be able to share of what you have done for us. And so God, I pray this week that you would give us opportunities, Lord Jesus, to bear witness to you, that we would see them and seize them Lord, the second you bring it to our heart and our mind by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would seize opportunities to testify that you, Lord Jesus, are king, that you are good, that you are faithful and true, that you have saved us, that you have changed us, and that you can do the same for other people. God, help us to share Christ for your glory. And finally, Lord, I pray that as a church, you would help us, Lord, to do missions for God's glory. I pray, Lord, that even now you would begin stirring hearts, Stirring us, God, burdening our hearts for our brothers and sisters all over the world. I pray, God, that in the coming weeks and months and years, you would guide us, God, to a specific church, a specific missionary, a specific place, God, where we can sit down roots to say, Lord, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And we can help do our part in your worldwide mission by helping by helping a local congregation reach their community somewhere in another part of the world to be partners with you in what you are doing like like the like the apostle paul did lord to take christ where he has yet to be named lord in all these things we want to be your church we want to be 
the church. We want to be the people that you have called us to be. And I pray that you would make us into that people. In Jesus' name, amen.